Hello, everyone. Welcome to the NTI Pod Talk. My name is Diane Kaler, and I'm the director of Nutrition Therapy Institute. This pod talk is our opportunity to have fun conversations with interesting people who have interesting things to say about nutrition, food, and health. I talk to NTI instructors, students and grads, to health industry professionals, to farmers, and anyone else who has an interest in nutritional wellness. While many of our listeners come from within the NTI community as students and grads, we also have prospective students who tune in. And to those listeners in particular, I hope you find that the people we talk to inspire you to finally make the jump to pursue your passion and come to school here at NTI. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the NTI Pod Talk. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Nicole Huffman, who is a naturopathic medical doctor, medical physician. Um, and I'm going to let uh, uh, Dr. Nicole talk about her medical education and um, you know how she practices and where she does those kinds of things. But first, I just want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, we're going to be talking about a subject today that... Um, you know, I, I, I find interest in personally, but I think many people find interest in because it's not something that is, uh, I think, on the radar and, and people talking about uh, in, 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 you know, broad discussion. So I'm interested in talking about it. But before we get there, why don't you tell us um, kind of a little bit about yourself, your medical education, um, and where you practice and those kinds of things before we get started. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Excited to be here. Um, so I am a naturopathic doctor, like she mentioned, and I practice pretty remote all over the country. And then I see patients one day a week up in Loveland at a clinic called um, Copper Heights Chiropractic. And my background are so... I went to naturopathic medical school, which is mine was in Illinois, where I'm from, um, just outside of Chicago. And it's a, you know, full, it's all the same sort of like classes that a regular doctor would take, except instead of as much pharmaceutical, we do get some pharmacy, but a lot of, you know, we're also learning how to use herbs and homeopathy and, you know, extensive training on nutrition. So you know, there's a couple differences, but the basic like anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, all of that is very similar to that of a MD, a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And we don't have required residency. So that's the biggest difference between us and a medical doctor. Um, but a lot of us choose to do a residency afterwards. I had already been working with people one-on-one -on -one with nutrition and supplements um, prior as a coach of some sort. And then I was also a strength coach. So I felt like I had a pretty decent background in it. I was actually like reading labs before I had gone back to school. So I felt like I had already had a lot of good sort of like practical basis with working with patients in a way. Um, but yeah, that's my education and, and where I practice. So I'm either on zoom or, or in person. Okay, great. Well, I, um, if you don't mind talking about like, what, what is your interest? Why did you want to go the naturopathic route? Because as you say, 
you know, uh, and we've had other conversations with naturopathic doctors where they say that, you know, we, we essentially do two training programs at once um, because we do the same training that a medical doctor does. Plus we have this additional layer of naturopathic sort of holistic um, therapeutics. And so what, what's your interest in this additional role of being a naturopathic medical doctor? Yeah, I think, I think most of us got into this field because of either our own health issues or health issues mm -hmm. of a family member or friend. And for me, I was the kid who was allergic to everything. I had really bad asthma. I was in and out of the hospital a lot with breathing treatments. I had a collapsed lung. I couldn't be around anything with fur. I mostly had lizards and snakes as pets. <laughs> and, um, and I became a strength coach after I had a couple of different careers. And I I'd started as pre-med actually when I was 18 and then quickly realized I didn't want to become that type of doctor, but I didn't know this other type of doctor even existed at the time. So a lot of it was really trying to figure out my own body, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I knew I didn't like being on medication and uh, you know, sometimes the inhalers would make me feel real puffy and gain weight. And I didn't, you know, so a lot of it was just trying to figure out how I could heal my own body. And when I started learning um, more about food, actually, and how I changed my diet was what really got rid of my asthma. And then as I started taking different courses um, and doing like some emotional work with my patients and different supplements and different testing, I got rid of my allergies. I mean, now I live on a ranch with six horses and I have two dogs. I mean, there's hair everywhere and mm -hmm. I don't really have allergies anymore. So mm -hmm. it, I just think it's so amazing when you're treating the root cause of something, instead of just trying to mask it with medication or, um, you know, just another diagnosis that someone wants to give you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was definitely my own health journey that got me into it for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, that is so typical, even for our students that come to nutrition school, it is their own health journey that, you know, got them started on the path, started to build this passion that they want to really pursue an education. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, pe people have heard me say before, I, my husband had the exact same experience. He had a horrible asthma as a child, in and out of hospitals, all the same stuff using three different steroid inhalers. And once I learned about, you know, food and started <laughs> forcing him <laughs> to make food choices, but right. he, he was happy to do it. But, you know, I, I, I was really kind of heavy handed about it. You have to stop eating this and, you know, we need to start eating these things. And his asthma is completely gone now, you know, Amazing. And, and yeah, so um, same exact thing. Um, you know, of course we're not saying that everyone would have that experience, but these yeah. are two <laughs> anecdotal personal experiences, but Absolutely. anyways, yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I'm not sure if you, um, uh, specialize in sort of hormone and particularly female, female hormone balance. But I, I do know that one of your areas of interest is in kind of hormone balance. And um, my interest in talking to you is to talk about uh, a, a very dramatic shift in hormone balance, which, ha which happens during menopause. Mm -hmm. um, so, and 
kind of where I'd like to start with this is that, uh, so, you know, full disclosure, I am 57 years old. I, I am, uh, you know, I am menopausal. Um, and as soon as I started reaching age like 50, 51, I don't know, 52, I started getting really um, <clears throat> almost hounded by the, you know, by my very conventional um, mainstream uh, medical practitioner about all the things that I needed to be doing and um, you know, and as you enter menopause, all these horrible things are going to happen to you and you need to start doing all this testing and, and do all these things. And it became very, uh, very mm. much of a medicalization kind of, you know, a, a disease, uh, um, treatment process where I, I, I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't, you know, going and saying I'm having all these symptoms, but it was being delivered to me in that way. And, you know, that, that was my own private experience, but I've heard many people talk about the fact that um, they, many women talk about the fact that they are concerned that their journey into menopause, and we are all going to get there. <laughs> we, you know, it is, you cannot avoid it. We are all going to get there, but that their journey to menopause becomes turned into a disease. Mm. not just a natural state of being a human female. So um, do you have any thoughts about that? And that's kind of where I would like to start to hear your thoughts about it in working with your patients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is such a, it's such a natural process, right? I mean, it's yeah. the body was really designed to go through it. So mm. Yes, there are definitely things that you might want to look at and change in your lifestyle if you haven't already, or, you know, your diet and your blood sugar and different things to just set yourself up for success as you're now transitioning to not having a cycle and not having those hormones cycle and having very low levels of those hormones for sure. Absolutely. But I think that's the little, that's the difference between a lot of holistic practitioners and more of the traditional medicine model is that we're, we are all about preventative medicine and really supporting the body and also where you're at, not you and every other 57 year old female. It's mm -hmm. where's your body at? How have you been taking care of yourself? What have you been doing? How can we better support you now that you won't have these estrogen levels anymore, et cetera, versus being like, okay, you're 57. This is the next thing we are right. going to try and scare you about. Right. I right. mean, it's, it is. It's a, and there are lots of women who go through menopause really without symptoms. And so it's like, well, if, if you can go through it without symptoms, then how can we support women who are having symptoms to be able to naturally and gradually enter this next stage of life that really should be, should be amazing. I mean, mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of women say that I'm not menopausal full disclosure. I just had a baby, <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, yeah, but um. I have had a lot of women say that it could be this really magical, beautiful time for them. And um, I, I wish it could be like that for every woman and have it be more of like an empowering place to be instead of like a dreaded, a dreaded mm -hmm. transition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, again, maybe, maybe this is my own personal opinion, but I think that 
and, and we, we can blame our, our quote unquote society on a lot of things, but I think that our society is so, has been, is, and has been for a long time fixated on youth and all the mm. wonderfulness about youth. And so um, I think that, you know, this um, belief that we shouldn't get older and we shouldn't go through natural changes in life and physiology um, that have to do with aging. Um, I think it, it, it scares people yeah, uh, because definitely. they, you know, the society teaches us that we shouldn't have to do that. So anyways. Um, all right. Well, you know, you mentioned that some women do go through menopause naturally without having a lot of symptoms or a lot of, um, you know, at least overt debilitating symptoms. Um, are there any commonalities, having just said that, are there any commonalities that you see in your patients with menopause? Like what kind of things do people come to you to talk about uh, helping them deal with? Sure. I mean, I probably the number one you know, I've either they're perimenopausal or menopausal and they've gained weight. That's probably the biggest thing mm -hmm. I've put on some weight. I haven't changed the way I'm eating. Um, oh, right. That's a big one. Yeah. And then I think the other one is hot flashes. I think those can be pretty disruptive for a lot of women. So I know hot flashes is a big thing. Um, and and then I would just say like loss of libido and for some women, it is loss of, you know, creativity and vitality in certain ways too. Mm -hmm. So again, just a lot of them aren't like, I miss having my period. You know, a lot of them are just like, I, that, that does not happen. <laughs> yeah. No one's like, I'll just really tell you that does that. not happen. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I would like to continue to feel that you know, that vitality. And I would like to continue to feel good in my body. And, you know, what can we do? I would say those are sort of the big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, at, we are a nutrition school. Um, our community is interested in nutrition. So are there um, nutritional sort of generalities that you talk to your, your patients about um, who are asking these types of questions about menopause. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested to know, you know, sort of the differences and, or what you guys do versus what I've seen. But, um, you know, women who, when you start losing your hormones and you're making that transition, the biggest change that happens is you become more insulin resistant than insulin sensitive. That's the biggest change, right? All of a sudden, you know, that, carbohydrate that you can handle pretty well in your thirties and forties, you're just not tolerating very well in your fifties and noticing weight gain again from, you know, not really having changed much, but the, the biggest shift is that if you can't manage your blood sugar as well, we know we're going to see a whole lot of dysregulation, right? I really do believe that blood sugar is one of the biggest, um, biggest issues among most health issues, not even just menopause, but definitely women have a hard time managing their blood sugar who don't have hormones anymore. And so a lot of times we have to change their diet, right? We have to, you know, cater it a little bit more towards 
protein focus and fat focused and not so much, um, the carbohydrate land anymore. And yes, there's definitely some women who can, you know, just like any, any women who can tolerate certain foods over other women, but that's the biggest one I see, right? Because probably the women who can tolerate their muffins and their bagels just fine aren't the ones that are reaching out to me. Um, (laughs) it's, it's the ones that are having blood sugar problems that usually reach out. And so, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very different. And I will also say that women who are not cycling anymore, they do a lot better with fasting than women who are cycling. So oftentimes women who are in menopause can, can do intermittent fasting or can do longer types of fasting. And that can work really well for some of them too. And again, regulating their blood sugar, giving their body some time to have autophagy, right? So the self-killing of, of cells that don't necessarily need to be there anymore. Um, it's kind of like a garbage cleanup pickup for the body, um, able to get some inflammation down. So again, using different tools with nutrition or fasting, not eating, um, in order to help them start feeling better in their body for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I think blood sugar is a huge issue. Um, uh, and you know, the, the other thing that, that we talk a lot about is that, um, even though the ovaries are, are, you know, no longer producing estrogen or certainly not at the high amounts that they were previously, um, you know, your adrenal glands are still producing estrogen. So we talk a lot about making sure that you're coming into the perimenopausal and menopausal life stage, not having, you know, used up all of your, your adrenal reserves and your capacity for your adrenal glands to function really robustly. And of course, blood sugar has a big, big uh, role there as well, because when you've got dysfunctional dysfunction in blood sugar regulation, your adrenal glands are having to manage your blood sugar a lot of time. Absolutely. Um, So uh, I, I completely agree with you and, and kind of, um, you know, removing or or reducing, um, those foods that are marketed as health foods, like muffins, you know, brand muffins or whatever, blueberry muffins and bagels, they're marketed as health foods. Right. Um, and, uh, really they're not health foods for blood sugar control. I I don't think in, in any case. Um, so I, I, yeah, completely agree with you. Yeah. We talk a lot about like, um, one of my fellow colleagues calls her queen cortisol and how important she is really when we're talking about hormones. I think when we're talking about perimenopause and menopause, a lot of practitioners are really focused on the estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, of course, but cortisol and insulin are really just as important. And so like you were saying, if we're kind of heading into perimenopause, after being in a lot of stress and our cortisol is really elevated, well, queen cortisol needs to be kept happy. And so she'll really kind of throw everybody else for a loop if she's out of balance, including your insulin and including your um, testosterone and progesterone and everything. So it really is, it really is like your stress management. And one of the you know, one of the big stressors, because I think a a lot of times when we talk about stress, we think about mental, emotional stress, but Mm -hmm. there's so many types of stressors. I mean, living in a moldy house is a stressor. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that throw women into perimenopause early. Mm -hmm. Um, Eating the wrong foods is a stressor. 
having dysregulated blood sugar is a stressor, right? So it doesn't necessarily all just have to be mental, emotional, although I haven't met too many women who aren't dealing with mental, emotional stress, but we think of everything else on top of that and your food and how you regulate your blood sugar is absolutely number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then, you know, I'm sure coming from your background as being a trainer, um, you probably talk a lot about, you know, you need to build and or maintain muscle mass. You know, our muscle mass is our largest glucose sink. The best way to have good blood sugar regulation is to have adequate muscle mass. And um, I think it it becomes more difficult as as we age, both men and women, but as we age to uh, maintain muscle mass, um, even doing the same amount of exercise. So you kind of have to do a little bit more or a little bit different, certainly more weight training, um, those kinds of things. So, uh, and, and, you know, those are things that, that we talk about here that I talk about with my clients. So, um, but, you know, again, coming from the standpoint of being someone who's in this position, I can just say that, you know, it, it is during your fifties when you are usually, you know, your children are grown, you're hopefully not having to be a, a, uh, you know, full-time, um, all, all immersive parent. Um, although some days it feels feel that way, but, uh, um, you know, and, and this is the time that I see for myself, for many women where we are in our prime for work and, you know, business and, and being, entrepreneurs and and being in powerful positions in our work because of spending years, you know, uh, uh, increasing our our responsibilities and our roles and all those kinds of things. And so um, this is during this time of life, um, it's, it's almost harder to make some of those conscious decisions about what to do with your life and your time, because, um, we're, we're just much, I, I think much more busy on work-life stuff and not so much on, um, kids. And, and I don't know, I, again, these, these are my own personal opinions and things that I've heard other people in my immediate community talking about, but yeah, I, think I mean, that's an issue. Yeah. I feel like there's there, I feel like women in their in their fifties and, you know, or early sixties, I feel like it's kind of all across the board. I've definitely seen, it sounds like yourself, like, you know, very more work focused and like, you know, busy with that. And then I've seen other women who are really at that time, they're able to finally take some time off and like scale Mm -hmm. back a little bit and maybe are able to put a little bit more time. I mean, either way, I think definitely trying to prioritize a couple of those things makes the transition way easier. Like you were saying with exercise and strength training. Um, I mean, I had my female patients who were, or clients at the time, um, who I was strength training, um, in menopause. I mean, they're doing back squats, deadlifts, pull-ups. I mean, everything that's body weighted or not, I'm sorry, not body weighted, loading the spine is the mm-hmm. like best way to help with bone density. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think a lot of women are like, wait, I didn't do, I couldn't do a pull-up when I was 40. You want me to do a pull-up when I'm 55. And I'm like, absolutely. And we'll get you there. And 
you know, but those, you know, spine loaded, that's where we start to like really keep our bone density and, and all of the other, like you were saying, muscle mass is so key for longevity. So, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's so interesting how sort of women can be in these different phases of their different you know, phases of their life and what they can make time for. But if you know, okay, the biggest things for me in menopause that are going to keep me sane and feeling good are lifting weights and focusing on my nutrition, then I guess do, do those things first, if you can get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so are there any types of strategies, specific strategies that you can talk about that you make recommendations about like herbs, you know, particular nutrients, maybe supplementation, um, do you do any kind of homeopathy, essential oils that you find, uh, con- yourself consistently, uh, making recommendations to your patients? Yeah, I definitely feel like, so I'm, I'm big on vitamin K, vitamin K2. I really like the, there's a particular supplement. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that on here, but sure. um, called mega quinone. Mm-hmm. And I have really seen that be very helpful with uh, bone density and keeping bone density. And then as well as really impactful for the heart. So I do recommend that a lot for women who are in menopause. Um, magnesium. I mean, some of these are like very basic nutrients that I, you know, in, in our medicine, we really try to do like basics first, instead of like looking for the canary in the coal mine, right? Like we can really call, we call them the basic determinants of health. If we can really cover those basic determinants, a lot of things get better. And then we can yeah. kind of start doing like the really individual stuff, which, you know, some women test, I use a lot of muscle testing as well as specialty testing, but some women test really great on some different herbal complexes with like black cohosh or whatever for their uh, hot flashes and other women we've done a little bit of um you know like uh, I'm trying to think of what's in this balancing cream that we use even you can put it on even vaginally that's been really helpful for them so some women are more sensitive than others I think some women need a little bit more support than others but some of the very basic ones would be Um, like a magnesium. I think that's extremely important, a really great mineral supplement of some sort. So I'm a big fan of Quinton minerals. It has everything in the periodic table. They're the cleanest and most effective ones that I've seen. Um, So I I feel like that's really important. Usually some sort of good fish oil or cod liver oil. Um, I do do a lot of testing for like vitamin D and red blood cell, zinc and magnesium. So I try to keep those really high or in good ranges. Um, and then it just depends too on, I'm really big on protein intake for women. I mean, yeah. women of all ages, but definitely postmenopausal. And so a lot of times women have been under eating protein almost their whole life. So I do recommend usually some sort of digestive enzyme that has hydrochloric acid in it. So I know that they're really breaking down their protein because if you're not utilizing your protein, you're not going to be building your muscle anyways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when women are like, Oh, I don't really tolerate meat too well. Or I don't really know a lot of times just because they're just not breaking it down and we all lose our hydrochloric acid levels that are, should be pretty high in the stomach as we get older anyways. 
And it's usually from stress or, you know, poor nutrition or, you know, just aging in general. And so I just find that even like a really basic betaine hydrochloric acid with digestive enzymes works really well. I love essential oils, but I'm not like your essential oil girl. I mm-hmm. feel like um, there's probably other people who could talk way more to that. Mm-hmm. But even things like MCT oil, I've seen be really powerful for women's brains. Um, again, getting some more of that good, healthy fat. There's certain MCTs that are really good for the gums, which we can see like teeth and gum changes as those hormones go down. And then I'm really big on supporting the heart. So you know, some women are all about, I I would say there's like two camps. There's the women who are like, I want my hormones back. So then we do bioidentical hormones. I don't do a ton of that. I can't really in Colorado, my California patients, I can do more of that based on my licensure. And then there's the other women who are like, I don't want to deal with hormones. This is a great transition for me. How can you support me to feel my best? And in that we might do a lot more supplementation really based on what's going on with them and their bio-individuality. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just real like two camps of women as they enter that phase on how they want support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Thank you for saying that. And you, you, you know, you brought up bioidentical hormones. I would love to hear kind of your thoughts about that. And, you know, you say you don't really utilize them as much, um, uh, particularly here in Colorado, but just sort of um, I, I guess the question is, um, and, and maybe you've already answered it, but I think there are so many, um, misconceptions out there that when you go through menopause, you must go on hormones. Mm. And I think there is a drive to, um, make women feel like it is absolutely necessary. I, you know, And um, I'm just, you know, curious what your thoughts are about that. And you can go wherever you want with that. But anyways. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, there's no judgment on my end. I feel like if, if a woman's like, I would like to have my hormones back, I feel better that way. It's great. Go for Mm -hmm. it. If Mm -hmm. I think working with somebody who that's what they do, they're, they're the hormone, you know, guru, and that's what they do with their patients. They know exactly how to do certain ratios and, and get women feeling a little bit better for them. That I think that's wonderful. And then I, for the women who are like, I don't want to do it. You don't have to, there's no, it's definitely not like I've started menopause. Your next step is hormones. Absolutely not. There's plenty of women who probably the majority of women who choose not to. And I think that's great you know, they've recognized this as the next transition phase of their body. And, and they just want to go through it with as much grace and ease as they can. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then equally, there's no, you know, um, you know, judgment for the women who, who do they, you know, they have really, really rough symptoms and for them being on a little bit of testosterone or a little bit of, um, estradiol and progesterone makes all the difference. So, I think there really, there really are different ways of approaching it. And there's absolutely not a, this is what you have to do next. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think that 
it's empowering for women to recognize that if they don't want to utilize the hormone route, that there are so many other ways that we can support our health um, that makes the, the, the quote unquote need or the perceived need for hormones um, much less, you know, for them. Because if you can do things to manage your blood sugar, you know, do things to manage your psychology, your mental health, all those kinds of things. I, I just, um, I, I think that there are ways that we can not be dependent on hormones after menopause. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, great. Um, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. It was really uh, you know, good to, to speak with someone who's in alignment with the way I think I always, um, you know, obviously that, that is, uh, is good to hear some of my thoughts validated by someone who's working out there in the field with patients. Um, so I want to thank you. Uh, is there anything that, you know, I didn't ask that you kind of want to get out there, any kind of big messages about menopause that, that we didn't really talk about? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like what you said, balancing the emotional psychology piece, I mean, there's so many different tools to do that, um, whether it's like meditation or emotional freedom technique. I use something called neuro-emotional technique that I find to be really helpful with my patients. But I do think, especially just in the day and age and kind of like everything going on in the world and and then everybody's own, you know, their own world and what's going on. And then such a change in your body, which I know for some women can feel really foreign to them. I do think doing some stuff to help the mental and emotional piece of it is key. And mm -hmm. I really do find that it, it helps lessen all the other symptoms as well too. So I think that yeah. was just an important piece to bring up. Yeah. Yeah, a absolutely. I, I run into troubles where my brain, I'm not in a good place psychologically and, uh, you know, mentally, um, whatever stress, whatever. Uh, and it, it definitely makes, you know, makes hot flashes a lot worse. So <laughs> it definitely um, does. Yeah, yeah. Stress will make yeah. those hot flashes a lot worse. And so again, we talked about the different types of stress, you know, whether it be you know, gluten is crazy stressful for a lot of women's hot mm -hmm. flashes, but you know, mm -hmm. so is traffic or of, you know, their kid drama or whatever. Right. So yeah. I definitely do think using tools to balance that side of things, um, is really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, good. So, um, do you want to talk about how people can find you? Where, where are you out there in the great, sure. uh, yeah. great internet world, the internet world. Yeah. Um, yeah. My website is just drnicolehuffman.com. So pretty straightforward. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm Dr. Nicole N M D, um, on Instagram. And then I think that's pretty much it. I mean, you can definitely reach out either way of those. If you're interested in doing something in person or just, I have like some different courses on hormones and stuff too. So, okay. um, yeah, just a couple places. Good. Try not to be everywhere. I'm not in the TikTok thing yet, so yeah, trying not to be. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. But um, so, and you said that you. I think you said 
do you work mostly remote or in person or how's that? I'm work? in person one day a week and the rest is remote. Okay. So it All is right. definitely mostly remote. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, fun conversation, lots of good information for our audience. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. All righty. Hi there. And thanks for listening today. If what you heard today inspires you to want to pursue an education in holistic nutrition here at Nutrition Therapy Institute, please check us out on our website, ntischool.com, and reach out to us at admissions at ntischool.com. Our in-depth, comprehensive education is sure to provide you with the knowledge and skills you need to create the work of your dreams. Do something that feeds your passion, aligns with your values, and fuels your drive for a vital and meaningful life. It will be rewarding for yourself, your family, and anyone else with whom you interact. And with that, see you on the next episode.